Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, March the 19th, 2022. It is currently 7.37 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. And, well, we're going to have a little bit of fun this evening. Well, at least... I think I'm going to have fun. I hope you're going to have fun, but not just have fun. I hope you're about to learn something that will absolutely change the way you approach the Bible for the rest of your life. I know that sounds like a, a hype. I know that may sound like that I'm being over dramatic, but what I'm about to teach you absolutely changed my life way back in the late 1980s when I discovered it. What I'm about to teach you, I discovered. I I, I was a pretty pretty new Christian at the time, had not been saved very long. And after I became saved, I started like, okay, like, what do I do next? What do I do next? And I, I went to church and they talked about studying the Bible, but they never really taught me how to study the Bible. They would talk about, you know, take some notes, highlight something, pray. They didn't really give me any, like, okay, give me a study method. They didn't really give me anything. I went through their discipleship course, and they didn't really give me much there. Now, I'm not saying that everything they did was horrible. It's just, I was like, okay, how do, they they told me right from the start that the Bible is the inspired word of God, and I got excited, right? So I've told the story a million times. But the night that I got saved, they handed me the Bible, handed me a Bible and said, this is the inspired word of God. And I immediately went home, stayed up all night and read the entire New Testament. Within about a week, I'd already read the, the Old Testament, the New Testament. I think by two or three weeks in, uh, by two or three weeks in, I'd already read the Bible, I don't even know, multiple times. And so I was reading and reading and reading and reading and reading, but I, I knew that and I had a million theological questions and doctrinal questions and and just in many ways, the, the church, how can, I, I don't want to say this, please, please don't misinterpret what I'm about to say, okay? Because I don't want it to come across as arrogant and condescending. But I, I sometimes feel like churches really, if you think about school, right? You have elementary, you have junior high, middle school, you have high school, you, you, college, you, you know, undergraduate, undergrad, undergraduate and graduate degrees. You get, you get the idea. It's broken down to different levels. And I think churches, when you look at churches, you can almost classify churches in the different level of teaching or education that they give you. You have some churches are kind of really the elementary schools. And I'm not trying to say that in a, in a mean way. They, there may be wonderful people there. They may be loving. They may have lots of zeal, but they just don't go, they don't really go into any depth. And they really never really teach people how to study the Bible. They don't teach hermeneutics. They don't teach church history. They may do very little systematic theology. It's just, there's I, there, I'm not trying to be, negative, but they're just, there's not a lot of depth, right? They're they're kind of the elementary level. Then you'll find some that may move a little bit more, move, advance a little bit more into middle school. But at least for me, I cannot speak for you in your, in, in your Christian life, but for me, I wanted more. I wanted more. I'm like, this is the word of God. I want to understand everything from Genesis to Revelation. I want to understand it. I want to understand it. And I want to understand it. And the more I, and so I, because the church in many cases really wasn't helping me. Well, I found a a Bible bookstore. That's literally what it was called, the Bible bookstore on Butternut Street in Abilene, Texas. 
And I walked in there as a teenager looking around. I didn't know what was good, what was bad. I didn't even know what I was looking for. And there was an older gentleman who handed me a book by James Montgomery Boyce from 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, right? I think it was called The Foundation of the Christian Life. And it was basically a systematic theology. It was a systematic theology, and that book was absolutely instrumental in me understanding, whoa, okay, this is stuff I never hear in church. This stuff I didn't even know. What is this? And I started reading it and trying to understand. And then I began to understand, wait, you're supposed to study the Bible. Well, how do you study the Bible? Well, I was back in that same Bible bookstore, and I was looking around, and there was like a bargain bin. There was like a bargain bin. And there were books in there for like 25 cents, 50 cents. Like literally, these are books obviously no one wanted, and they were just trying to get rid of. And there was a book in there on Bible study methods. And I was like, whoa, what is this? And I took that book and started learning how to study the Bible. The book gave 12 methods of Bible study. And the second method of Bible study was the one that absolutely opened my eyes and changed everything. And I began to learn the importance of not reading a verse out of context. I began to understand the importance of Bible study is about observation. You can't interpret what you haven't observed. You have to do observation. So Bible study is observation. And then from that observation, you move basically to hermeneutics where you can do interpretation. A lot of people just read and interpret. No, you have to read and observe. Just reading itself is not complete observation. That's part of observation, but it's not everything you need. You need methods to help you really observe everything in the text. The better your observation, the better your interpretation. Okay, and I, and I say this all the time, but this method really changed everything and helped me understand it. And here's the way I want you and I think this is very important. Here's the way I want to introduce this method, all right? If you have a Bible, if you have a Bible, just open it. And if you start looking, you're obviously going to see lots of words, right? You're going to see lots of words, and you're going to see these words are, are broken down into verses, right? And we, and we know those verses, right? Everybody loves a verse, right? John 3, 16, you, you, you just name certain verses. Genesis 1, 1. There's certain verses that we just know, and we memorize those verses, and there's nothing wrong with doing that, but we know verses. And a lot of times, especially within Christianity, the focus is on the individual verse, you take the verse, and in many cases, then we, uh, we either offer an interpretation or maybe even an application by just observing that one verse, but outside of its broader context. But if you look at your Bible, not only do you see words, you see the words are grouped into verses, but if you look carefully, you'll see those verses are grouped into what we call chapters. And that is very important. All right, a little bit of background. The Bible, as it was originally written, had no chapter or verse divisions. In fact, according to at least one source, it wasn't until 1228 AD, according to one source, AD 1228. I think there's some dispute here, but somewhere in the 1200s, it appears to be when the uh, chapter divisions are added. One person who sometimes is 
people attribute as the one who, who break, breaks the Bible down into chapters is Bishop Stephen Langton. Not a, I, don't, I don't know if everyone completely agrees on that, but at least according to one source. The bottom line is somewhere in church history, somewhere in the 1200s, it typically is agreed somewhere in that time period, the Bible is broken down into chapter divisions. Now, these were added to make the various sections of the Bible more accessible to the readers. Now, it's, now listen, there are some negative things about chapter divisions. There are, because sometimes they seem to be very arbitrary, and they sometimes de- they interrupt the flow of a writer's message. So there's sometimes the chapter divisions can be very harmful because you, you almost say, here's this chapter, and you remove it from the previous chapter. And this week's Bible study exercise, for those who've been participating, you know that I really, really have challenged us to not remove chapter John chapter 14 from John chapter 13, because I believe the beginning of John chapter 14 is abs- John chapter 13 is critical for understanding John chapter 14. I really, I, I just really, believe, I, I think that, that if you just remove the chapter divisions, it be, you'll see that and it will become more obvious. But there are some negative things about chapter divisions. Just remember, they're not inspired. Just remember, they're not there by God. And remember, sometimes they're, they're there arbitrary, and sometimes they may mess up the flow. So for any, I just want to make sure we acknowledge there is some negative things from them. However, <laughs> they provide an absolutely amazing, they, they provide an absolute amazing method of Bible study. We can study the Bible by studying the chapters. And if you learn to study the chapters, that keeps you and protects you from ripping verses out of context. That protects you from a preacher's ripping verses out of context. Because if you learn to study the chapter, you will know, You listen, that, that means you're going to be observing the chapter that will give you the context for the verses contained within said chapter. So anyone who comes along and quotes a verse, you can say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That chapter is about this, 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 this. And then you can, you in many cases, you can provide the context that is being ignored, maybe in preaching, in a, a devotional booklet, in a small group. They, in many cases, they're ripping things completely out of context. This protects you. This protects you. But the fact that the Bible is broken down into chapters, it's really handing you a method of Bible study. Now, this is important. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. 1,189 chapters in the Bible. If you studied one chapter each day, and someone can check my counting to make sure I'm right, I I looked up in another source, they say 1,189. So if I'm wrong on the number... There's clearly over a thousand chapters in the Bible. Okay, I, I hate since I haven't checked in a very long time. I don't want to uh, be incorrect, but there's over a thousand chapters. So if you write it in, if you write it in your notes, you could just put over a thousand chapters. But I think it's one thousand one hundred eighty-nine. All right, and uh, and I'm looking at a source here that says the same thing. All right, if you studied one chapter each day, you could read through the scriptures in just over three years. If you summarize two chapters a day, you could finish in about 20 months. Now, this pace is obviously not recommended. I'm just showing you that it gives you a natural division. It gives you a natural structure. It gives you 
something to work on, right? And, and, I, and I would never say do a chapter a day. I would say do a chapter a week because I think uh, uh, studying a chapter is going to require some time, right? But it, it's all, it's right there. It, it's, 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 it's right there. It, 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 it breaks it all down for you. Now, the method that is utilized to study the chapters of the Bible is called the chapter summary method of Bible study. It's called the chapter summary method of Bible study. Here's basically a definition of this method, all right? And this is from the book I bought way back in the 1980s in the discount bin. Now, that book went out of print. It's been brought back into print. It's been changed. It's been... There's a lot that's happened with the book over the, for a long time, but here's the basic definition, all right? Here we go. The chapter summary method of Bible study involves gaining a general understanding of the contents of a chapter of the Bible, or you could write it down this way. The chapter summary method is there to help you gain a general understanding of the con- all the contents of a chapter in the Bible. It is designed to give you a general understanding of all the contents of a chapter. Now, just think about that. If you have a general understanding of all the contents of the chapter, then no one can rip anything out of that, out of its context. Nobody can can just go grab a verse. And trust me, ripping verses out of context is... Sadly, I think it's a hobby of many Christians. I think it's a it's almost like it's it's the favorite pastime of many Christians, right? Just let's jump to Jeremiah where we God talks about I know the plans I have for you to to bless you. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll slow down, slow down, slow down. That chapter is not written for us. That chapter is about God speaking to those who are in Babylonian captivity, and he knows the plans he has for them to bless them, bringing them out of that Babylonian captivity. If you read the chapter, you understand that. A chapter summary method would stop that from happening because you would understand the general contents and the general, um, you would have a general understanding of the contents of that chapter. And we could, we could, we could give a hundreds of examples where this happens constantly. Now, you're now okay. I'm gonna when you. I'll I'll go ahead and give you some basic information here. So this is we're gonna all put this under the definition. I was gonna start breaking down to the steps. I'm gonna repeat what some of the things I'm about to say. But basic definition of this is that the chapter summary method involves gaining a general understanding of the contents of a chapter of the Bible by reading it through at least five times asking a series of content questions and summarizing the central thoughts of the passage. Now, the chapter summary method should not be confused with the book survey and chapter analysis methods. Those are different. Book survey and chapter analysis method, completely different than the chapter summary method. However, the chapters, think of it this way. The chapter summary method is kind of the elementary method way before you get think down way before you get to things like chapter analysis, book survey, and some of the very complicated methods. This is like elementary. This is something that every you can teach teenagers, you can teach children how to do this. Yeah, you can do this as a family on a Friday or a Saturday night. You you can pop some popcorn and get everyone together and like we're going to do a chapter summary method on 
on all the chapters of Leviticus. And everybody will be like, yay, or you're, or they're going to be like, no, and then they're going to run away from home. Okay, but you get the idea that this is a method that's, that's easy to do, but it is so important. Now, why? Why is this method so important? Why? Like, I, 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 when I say it changed everything for me, I truly mean that. It changed. It's like a light bulb went on and I was like, whoa. Okay, now I know how to, I know where to start because I, I didn't know where to start before this. I was kind of like, well, what do I do? You know, I would hear sermon after sermon, study, 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 study. But no one would ever tell me how. This changed everything. So this is why, here are some reasons why this method is so important. Number one, it is so easy to learn. There's basically 10 steps. Anyone can learn this. Anyone can learn this. And this is what drives me crazy. So many times there are Bible study groups, right? Bible study groups, like uh, small groups and Bible study groups. In many cases, what they do is they don't actually study the Bible they, they almost in every, you know, if it's a small group, they're going to be using someone's study guide, right? They're going to have a study guide. Like we, we have curriculum for our Bible study exercise, but it's there to supplement what we do. It's not that we're, stu- we're not studying the study guide. We're studying the Bible. The study guide is just to supplement what we do. But in many small groups, it's like, here's the book we're going to be studying. No, I thought we're studying the Bible. Maybe it's K. Arthur or Beth Moore, whomever they're, if it's a women's Bible study, whatever the case may be. And it's like, no, we need to study the Bible. Any small group could use the chapter summary method, and then the group would actually be studying the Bible. Okay. It's so subtle that, that people get together and say, we're doing a Bible study. I'm like, oh, what are you studying? And then they may say the book they're studying, but that almost comes with, but the, the, we're studying the book of Job using. And then they'll give the study. No, so you're studying a study guide on the book of Job. You're not actually studying the book of Job. I, I, I'm trying to draw a distinction there because it's an important one. Though This method is so important because it's so easy to learn. It's so simple, right? There's 10 basic steps, right? Number two, this method does not take much time. Now, let me, let me make it very clear. It doesn't take much time and, and to do the basic study. Now, if you want to really dig in, right, you, it, it, could take, it could take as much time as you want. But to just to do the general chapter summary method, it does not require a lot of time. You, in other words, you, you, you have control. You can do a general, simple summary and it won't take you super a long time. And then you have the basic structure and then you can come back and build on it and then add more time to it, All right? Number three, this is a good one. This method does not really require many outside reference tools. In fact, you can basically memorize the 10 steps and do most of them without really any reference tools. And any reference tools you do need can pro- probably be found online for free. So makes it great. The chapter summary method is a method I used constantly when I was in the military. And it depends on what, I, you know, some, I worked overnight all the time. And sometimes I'd have hours where I, there was nothing going on. Grab a Bible, a notebook, just start doing chapter summary methods. Just start. Let's just start Leviticus 1, go to Leviticus 2, Leviticus, just chapter summary methods. One after another, after another, after another. So the, it doesn't require a lot. You don't have to have a big library, right? 
Number four, the method is a good type of study to use when you engaged in rapid reading survey through the Bible. So let's say if you're reading through the Bible, the chapter summary method is perfect to go with it so that you're not just reading, but now you're doing observation and actual study. And then I think the last reason this, this, this method is so important, it protects you. It protects you. It, here's almost my rule, and I, you'll hear me say it sometimes in my sermons. If, if anyone in my church wants to argue with me about a, a, something in the Bible, I almost stop and go, okay, wait a minute. So we're in Romans, whatever, and we have a disagreement here. Okay, my, my first question will be, before, we, before I'm even going to go back and forth with a person, have you done a chapter summary method on the chapter? No. Then there's no, no we're not going to have a discussion. There's no point in having a discussion because you want to argue about a verse. You want to argue about how to interpret something within a chapter. We've both got to do the chapter summary method on the chapter so that we can then start from what we have observed and then figure out why we disagree. Because sometimes a basic study of the chapter, a chapter summary method, may completely eliminate the disagreement. So it protects you from from all of the craziness and arguing and taking things out of context. Now, here are the steps, right? Here we go. Here are the steps. Steps number one. Are you ready? Step number one. And, uh, and now, now this step, I, I, this is the way I do it. This step does not appear in the books that usually teach this method. It's implied, but they don't include it as a step. I, so I'm, it's going to end up, you're going to end up with 11 steps. Everything. I say 10 steps. There are 10 main steps. What I'm about to give you, some classify it as a step. Some don't classify it as a step. I think it has to be classified as a step. So technically, I'm going to give you 11 steps, even though everything else will say there's only 10 steps. But they would acknowledge that what I'm about to give you is a step. It's really weird, just so that you know that there are some differences here. Step number one. Are you ready? Read the chapter five times. Read the chapter five times. That's just a minimum. Read it five times, and you know what I'm getting ready to say. One of those times needs to be out loud. The more you read, the more you see. The more you see, the more you observe. The more you observe, the better you can interpret, okay? It's just you have to see. Read, 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 read. One of those times reading out loud is sometimes when you read the chapter to yourself, you just kind of start just skimming through the words and stopping and reading it out loud makes you think about each word. And sometimes your entire perception of the chapter will immediately change when you hear yourself read it out loud. It is absolutely crazy. But read it five times. Now, here's some basic rules when you read. Number one, read it in a Bible that does not have notes. Do not read it in a Bible that has notes. Read it in a Bible that does not have any notes. Do not read it in a study Bible. I say that study Bibles, bad, bad, bad. Study Bibles are great to put on your shelf as a reference tool. But here's what happens. People read, and then they immediately look down at the notes. In their mind, they may know theoretically that the notes are not inspired, but because they immediately look at the text and immediately look at the notes, they almost treat those notes as if they're inspired. And here's what's worse. This is important. 
They see they, the notes because you read the text and you immediately look at the notes that will immediately corrupt your way you're thinking about the text. In other words, you st- you you see the text, you immediately see the note. That now basically gives you a presupposition about what the text is saying. It 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 completely just messes everything up. You don't want to see any notes while you're reading. You don't want to see anything. You don't want to have anything you can look at except the Bible. It's another thing I can't stand. It bothers me in, in preaching when uh, when people come to church with a study Bible, right? Now, sometimes I will say, if you have your study Bible, pull it out because I, I want you to look at your notes. But so many times I'll be preaching and we'll be reading through a text and then uh, we'll, we're done reading and I get ready to start preaching and you'll see people still looking down at their Bible. They're looking at the notes. They're looking at the notes and you're like, no, no, we're not here to study the notes. <laughs> we're here to study the text. All right. So read in a Bible without any notes. They're usually cheaper. Okay. No notes. All right. Number two. All right. Um, at least once. Now I say read five times minimum. I will say maybe the sixth time you may want to just read it once in a different translation. Now I use the King James and all of our teaching. So if you don't want to use a different translation, that's perfectly okay. But sometimes reading it in one, a different translation, right, that sometimes will at least make, may make you realize, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is, why is this different? It may, it may give you, the, it may alert you to a possible textual variant, may alert you to a completely different approach to translating a verse. It, it just may give you some insight because knowing that also protects you because someone may come to you with some idea and you'll be like, where are you getting that? And they're like, well, I'm reading it from this translation. If you're already familiar with the translation, you'll know where it's coming from. So at least, so one time, read it in a different translation. Just at least once. Read it once in a different translation. All right? All right, there you go. So read it five times. Read it in a Bible without any notes. Read it at least once in a different translation. And also, yeah, remember one of those five times, make sure you read it, read it out loud. I'm moving as quickly as I can. All right, now, here we go. After, so now we're, we're going to, we're going to go through now what is typically called the 10, the 10 steps proper. All right. That, that first step is always left out. I think it's, uh, it, it's, it is a step. There's no way to get around it, but um, now we're going to look at the 10 steps proper. So if you want to separate the reading from these 10 steps, that's okay. If you want to classify it as number one, okay. However you want to do it, you have freedom to structure your notes in any way that you that makes the most sense to you, right? But after you have read that, that chapter at least five times, one of those times out loud, with looking at any notes, stop and think about a short descriptive title for that chapter. Now, if you have a Bible that gives the chapters titles, try to ignore that. If you can find a Bible that doesn't have that in it, that's great. I hate seeing those because once again, it, it, it gives me a way of, it, it, it already kind of shades the way I'm thinking, and, and I, don't, I don't want that. But you give it a short descriptive title, right? The shorter the title, in some cases, the better. What you want you to do, that title is to summarize what you saw in the chapter. It's not your interpretation. If your title is an interpretation of the chapter, bad. You get an F. It is, you're giving a short descriptive title that summarizes what you saw, what you observed in the chapter, what is obvious, 
what is clear. It's not trying to offer an interpretation, right? The shorter the title, in many cases, the more likely you will remember it. And that's very, very helpful because you'll always remember, like you'll be sitting and someone gets ready to preach on a certain chapter and you'll be like, oh, okay, I know that chapter because you gave it a title. And you'll, and so that immediately tells you, okay, I remember what, the, I know, I remember what's in that chapter now. I remember what's in that chapter now, but give it a short title. All right. Uh, and, and I'll just give you some examples. First Corinthians 13. I think everybody, we, we call that what? Charity, if we're using the King James or love. That chapter is about love. It, you're not interpreting everything it says about love, but you can summarize that about love, right? I, I think you could do that, right? You can, Hebrews uh, 11, faith or examples of faith or heroes of the faith. I think that, now, there's a lot there in that chapter, but I think that would be a very good way of describing Hebrews 11. Now, you can be creative. You can make it pithy. You can make it catchy. Just don't, just make sure you're, you're not offering an interpretation, right? For example, uh, one book gave John chapter 4, they gave, they called the chapter, well, 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 because the two key events of the chapter are the woman at the well and the nobleman's son whom Jesus made well, 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 all right, that's that's creative. Now, and that's not offering an interpretation. It's describing the woman at the well and someone that Jesus made well. All right? Now, now that whatever you can come up with. Some people are great at this. Some people they they just seem to go into complete panic. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Just give it a title at the first. Now, this is very important. When you write that title d- d- title down at the first, don't write it in pen. Because there's a high probability that you may decide to change the the title by the time you're done. But give it one at the beginning just so you'll see if you end up thinking, yeah, okay, that's some chapters that's so obvious you don't need to think about it, right? Some chapters, Genesis 3, the fall. I mean, you can just go Genesis 6, the flood. You can go on. You can just, you can go on. Genesis 12, the call of Abraham. I mean, some of them just jump out at you and it's not difficult. But just just give just put the title down. Don't be don't be afraid, right? Give it a we can call this a caption. You can call this caption or just call chapter title. Give it a title. Right? Give it a title. Don't be afraid. You can change it if you realize, mm, I don't know. I thought that's what the chapter was about. I've done that all the time. I think that's what the chapter was about. And then I get done, I'm like, you know what? I think I was wrong, okay? Because by the time you're done with the message, you're going to know for sure what's in that chapter, right? There you go. Give the chapter a title. You can call this call this a caption. Give it a caption. Short, pithy, creative, so that you never forget what's in that chapter the rest of your Christian life, right? Okay, someone's using a pen. We will pray for them, okay? You know how I am about, uh, your notes can be in pen because you're listening to me and I'm infallible. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. All right, here we go. So caption, number two, contents. Or I should say number three, because I put reading number one, you get the idea. Next, I'll just say next, contents. This is where you summarize the contents of that chapter on paper. What you see in the text needs to be transferred from the text to paper 
without interpreting it. You're not to interpret. You're to simply place on paper what you see in the text. Now, the best option, in my opinion, is to outline. This is when I say contents, outline the chapter, outline the chapter, outline the chapter. And remember, an outline becomes wrong when your outline contains interpretations. Outlines cannot have interpretations. Outlines are there to give you the observation, to help you see the text. You've got a bunch of words in a chapter, right? Okay, I'm looking, right here, I'm looking at Psalm 99. There's nine verses. There's, there's still a lot of words, right? Now, how can I get a, a Psalm 99, verses one through nine, how can I observe what's there and take that observation and put it on paper? An outline is a great way. Some people will say, I can't outline. Look, this is very important. It, it, I don't care if your outline doesn't follow proper outlining rules. I don't care if it's Roman numerals. I don't care if you have a capital A, you've got to have a capital B. I don't care if you've got a small A. You need, I don't care about all of the outlining rules. Just some form of outline on paper so that the contents, you, now you can break it down and you see what's there. You see what's there. The, listen, the, as you, the more you outline the more you will see. Now, some people don't want to outline. So I say, all right, write out a summary, write out a paraphrase, write out something. I, I, I've never used the summer to summarize it or to paraphrase. I, I wouldn't even want to paraphrase it because to me now I'm going, once I start paraphrasing, my, my interpretations are going to start coming in. So I would not, I would never recommend paraphrasing, but most books do recommend paraphrasing. I think that's a horrible idea. Okay. You can summarize what's there. I just think outline, outline, outline just helps me structure it. Like I can see it, right? I'm like, okay, oh, okay, now I see that, now I see that, now I see that, now I see that. I think it breaks it down. So I'm going to really, 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 really dogmatically say outline, (laughs) okay? All right, outline. You want to make sure you have a, you you make sure you, you have all the major points in the chapter, all right? Now listen, don't, don't interpret, don't interpret, don't interpret, all right? Uh, in fact, I'll read from one book. Do, they say, don't try to interpret the chapter, just make observations on its contents, right? I, I, look, I'm going to go, I'm going to be more dogmatic. Don't, it's not about trying not to interpret, don't do it, period. And if you see that you've done it, start over right? It's not, there's no, you cannot interpret until you've done observation, right? So number one, caption, give it a title, short, pithy, quick, smart, witty, whatever descriptive, description you can come up with and, and, you know, adjective to describe it. Give your title, your chapter, a title, a caption. Number two, contents. Outline that chapter, outline it, outline it. Number three, go down and write and make a list of the chief people, the most important people in the chapter. Who are the most important people in the chapter? Now, listen, I know because you go to church, 
You're almost trained to do this. Sometimes you'll read a chapter. The chapter is, this person obviously is the key person in the chapter. The whole narrative hinges on them. Everything's about that person. But Jesus may be mentioned or referenced one time, and I guarantee you 99% of people who do the Bible, they'll put Jesus down. Because, well, Jesus is more important. It's not determining who's more important in reality, as Jesus is obviously more important because he's Jesus. It's who's most important in the chapter, right? You ask questions such as, who are the main people in the chapter? Why are they included? What is significant about them? If the chapter contains pronouns, he, she, they, you may have to refer to the previous chapter to identify the people. Write down your reasons for choosing certain people as the chief ones. Now, what people have a tendency to do, here's what they'll do. When they turn in their homework, they'll just list, basically, they'll just give me a list of every person in the chapter, every person. So then I'll go back and sometimes I'll respond with, well, why did you include that person? Well, I don't, I mean, they're mentioned. I didn't tell you to write everyone down in the chapter. I told you to write down and I'm talking to, like I'm talking to students because when I taught, uh, when I taught at a Christian high school in Nebraska, uh, my students, I'm always, always, always giving them chapter summary methods for assignments constantly. And they would, man, teenagers, and they would, they would just write down, and I would like, well, why is that person there? Who is that person? What makes that person significant? I don't know. Well, then you didn't do the chapter summary method right. You did it wrong. You fell. Okay, all right. What are you doing? You got you to gotta figure, list the, the chief people, the key people in the chapter, but be able to write down why you're including them. What makes them significant to the chapter? Why? Well, they're mentioned three times. Okay. Great. Congratulations. Does that make them important? Why are they important? What is significant about them? All right. And again, if it's using pronouns, he, she, they, identify who they are and, and explain why you're, you don't have to write a, an entire paper on why you're including them, just a basic explanation to why you are including them. All right. Oh, and if you're, if you're studying, oh, another thing teenagers would do, if, if, they were, if they were studying a chapter that had a genealogy, they just would include everyone in the genealogy, everyone. I, I'm like, no, that, that's no. Who are the key people in the genealogy? Now, you may not include anyone. You may not feel like that, that one person stands out more than another in the genealogy. You may, you may or may not. But at least be able to explain why you chose those people. And a key, why these people are key in that chapter. Please understand that. Whatever chapter you're studying, the key people of that chapter, the people who are key in that particular chapter, not in the whole Bible, not in, no, in that chapter. All right, I'm, I'm going to keep repeating myself, all right? So we have a caption. We have the contents. We have the chief people. Now we need a choice verse. You've got to choose a verse that really summarizes the whole chapter. Now, this is very important. I don't want you sitting there going, well, this is the one that spoke to me. Look, when you're doing a chapter summary method, if one verse just jumps off the page and slaps you and it convicts you and it's really powerful, oh, by all means, write it in your notes. This is a key verse to me because it was very convicting. Just set that aside. What I want you to do is I want you to find the key verse that may help you understand the entire chapter. It may, be, it may summarize 
everything about the chapter. Everything may hinge on that one chapter. It's the key verse. Now, sometimes you may not be able to find it, right? Sometimes you may not be able to, 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 to find it, and that's okay. But at least look for it. Just think, as you, you've already read the chapter five times. You've outlined the chapter. You, I mean, you've given it a title. You've outlined the chapter. You've, you've figured out the key people. By this point, you're probably going to have a good idea. That verse really summarizes the whole, that verse re- right there. The whole chapter hinges on that verse. All right, look for the key verse, all right? As one book says, in some chapters, you may find a key verse that summarizes the writer's entire argument. In other chapters, there may not be a key verse. On occasion, you may want to pick a verse from which you will be uh, writing your application. We won't go into that right now, but the point is, you for this, for my purpose here, just look for the key verse that really helps you understand the chapter. In other words, if you give me a key verse and I say, why is that your key verse? You need to be able to explain, well, look, the chapter is about this and that's really, it all hinges on that verse or that verse summarizes everything. You've got to be able to explain it, right? So write down your explanation. So you're going to read the chapter, obviously five times. We talked about that. You're going to give it a caption or a title. You've got your contents, outline, 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 your chief people, your choice verse or your key verse. Next, crucial words. What are the crucial words in the text? If you listened to my sermon from last week, we looked at Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, and I demonstrated that I felt the key word in these three chapters is Israel. All right? And so we went through and found every place where it works. Well, this where it appears. In this particular case, you're looking in one chapter and you're writing down the key word or words. It can be, these can be more than one word, key word or words of the chapter. Many times the key word will be the one that is used most frequently. 1 Corinthians 13, charity or love, depending on your translation. Hebrews 11, faith. Sometimes the crucial word may be the most, may be the most important word, but not the most used one. In Romans 6, For example, the word count or reckon in the King James is the important word, even though it is only used once in the entire chapter. Also, a chapter may have more than one crucial word. You look for the key words, the crucial words, the words that really help you understand the chapter. It may be the word that helps you understand what the chapter is all about. It may be the key word that just summarizes everything. You may find two or three. Again, just be able to explain why you think that's the key word. Why do you think that's the key word? Why? All right. Now, this could lead to marital dispute if you're doing the Bible study with your spouse and you could end up getting into a good argument. Just if you get into an argument, just ask me and whatever I decide will be right. And then you can't argue with each other. No. Okay. But I mean, you can, you, there can be disagreements sometimes, but the key is, okay. The thing is, before you start arguing, you ask this, okay, well, wait a minute. So you think that's the key word. Okay. Now, what did you think the chapter was about? Because what they may see the chapter being about one thing, you may see the chapter being about something completely different, and that means you're going to come up with different key words. You, you may come up with different, completely different key verse or choice verse. But you, you do, and again, you're not trying to interpret anything. You're just, you, these are all observations, 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 all right? All right, we're going to run out of time here. I'm going as fast as I can, all right? So uh, repetition here. So you read it, obviously, five times. You give it a caption. 
You give it, uh, you write down the contents and an outline, the chief people, the choice verse, the crucial word or words. Next, challenges. Write down anything in the chapter that you don't understand is difficult, you're confused by, and it may need further study. Do not stop your chapter summary method to go pursue these challenges. Just write the challenges down. Don't try to interpret the challenges. Don't even attempt to try to come up with an answer at this point. Just write them down, all right? Whatever chapter, don't understand this. This is completely confusing. Makes no sense to me. Write down, you want to write down specifically what the challenge is and what you don't understand so that when you go back and look at your notes, maybe to go back and work on that challenge, you'll remember exactly what the problem was. All right? Okay, I think that's very important. All right? Next. So there's challenges. That's just simple. Write down whatever you don't understand, you're confused by. It's, it's, it, you, you, we may have to come back to it. Next. Cross-references. Cross-references. Now, this is, again, where people go absolutely crazy. (laughs) Oh, this is the one that drives me crazy. Usually, teenagers do this. Adults will do this as well. I'll say, give me cross-references. And and if they have a Bible that provides cross-references, maybe in the center column, right, they have cross-references, they'll just write down every cross-reference. Do not write down a cross-reference until you've actually looked up the cross-reference and you can explain why you're including a cross-reference. So why would we include a cross-reference in a chapter summary method? You are thinking of any other verses that are absolutely critical in helping us understand that chapter. Don't include a verse just because, well, this, this, this book mentions Adam, Okay, so I'm going to go to a cross-reference in Genesis that mentions Adam. Well, wait a minute. What, how does that cross-reference help? Well, you, the, you've got to explain to me why you're giving me the cross-reference. You only want cross-references that help you understand that chapter, that add something to that chapter, not just random cross-references. Just People do this like, well, this chapter used that word and that chapter used that word. Okay, all right, does that mean they're actually connected? Why are you using that cross-reference? Now, listen, it's perfectly okay at first when you're learning how to do the method that you may be including cross-references that later on you'll realize, ah, that doesn't really help me at all. But find cross-references, but just ask yourself, does this actually help me understand this chapter? Does it help me in any way, shape, or form? If it doesn't, then don't, don't include it. It's that simple. Right? Okay, and we can talk all about the different kinds of cross-referencing, but we won't do that right now. Just basically you look up other verses that help clarify what the chapter is talking about. It's that simple. Just look up other verses that help you understand what that chapter is talking about. By this point, you've already looked at the chapter over and over and over and over, and you've been looking at it. You've outlined it. You've read it. You've given it key people, key verse, key words, content. I mean, you've done all of this. You're going to know by this point, you're going to know the chapter. So when you start looking for cross-references, you're finding things that actually help you, that you think will help you have a better understanding, or maybe key, here, this is very important, all right? This is, I'll just make this simple. The first kind of cross-reference you want to look for, this is just simple. If the chapter you're studying makes any reference or even alludes to, in any way, shape, or form, it has some, uh, some just some reference, even in the, the most passing way 
anything they say to another passage of scripture, then that you obviously include that cross-reference. If it actually says, as it was written, or as this happened, if you're, if clearly that chapter is referencing something that's mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, you include it. Even if it just kind of, kind of alludes to it, it's not, it's not, it, it's implied that they may be referring to something. It's not explicit. Still include that. That That's a go-to cross-reference to use because you're, the chapter you're, you're looking at is obviously referencing something else. You're going to need it. Write it down, all right? If your chapter doesn't do that, then you just start thinking, what other verses would help me understand this chapter better? There's your cross-references. All right, now, next. What do we want to do here? Um, I've changed this so many times. I disagree with the way most books have this. So I'm not going to give you the way this is typically. Uh, Here's what I want you to do. Uh, For the next step, which would be step eight, I believe, if we don't include reading, or step nine, if we include reading. Now, I know I've been going with C, right? Uh, I've got, I've given you caption, right? Contents, uh, chief people, choice verse, crucial words, challenges, cross-references, we could put this down as Christ, right? Because if we want to keep uh, with the C's. Now, what a lot of people will do is, how do you see Christ in this chapter? And I do not like that concept because I think that leads to some bad hermeneutics where we try to see Jesus and maybe where Jesus is not actually being mentioned. I know people say, no, Jesus is mentioned in every verse. That is completely I, that is a bad hermeneutical principle. It's a because you're going to try to push G, put Jesus into verses where I don't think he is there. Does the Bible in general speak of Jesus? Yes, but you can't just say, "Well, I see. I, I got to find a way to find Jesus here." No, this is what I want you to do. For this step, I want you to write down anything that chapter says specifically, explicitly about God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. If the chapter says anything about God, the Father, God, the Son, or God, the Holy Spirit, any member of the Trinity, if it says anything, write down just specifically, don't interpret it, what does it say about God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit? Don't interpret it. You just write out specifically what it says. You give the verse, this is what it says about God, this is what it says about Jesus, this is what it says about the Holy Spirit. Don't try to interpret it. Don't worry if you're like, oh, wait, that I got I to... Gotta, I, that, that, that could lead to some problems. Don't worry about the problems. Just write down what is there. Okay? That's the easiest way to do that one. All right? Next step. Central lessons. Simply write down the major principles learned from the chapter. What are the major principles? What are the major lessons you've seen in that chapter? The major principles, major lessons. Just the, the simple ones. You don't have to have three. You don't even have to have two. If you say, think there's only one major principle and one major lesson, just write it down. If you think there's five, write them down. But make sure they're coming from the text. Make sure you see, you can show me where the lesson and principle. In other words, if you write down three principles, you better give me the verse that you think backs up that principle or that lesson. Right? Write down the central lessons. And then the last step is your conclusion slash application. 
Here is where you would run application on the chapter. Now, I've given you the devotional method, which is application. This is where you would use that method, but I'll just make it easy for you. Here's what I want you to do for your conclusion. I want you to write something out that's practical, something that's provable, something that's possible that you are going to do because of that chapter. Write down something practical, something provable, something possible, something that you can do and that you're going to do as a result of that chapter. You say, this chapter says this, and as a result, I'm going to do this. I'm going, this chapter says I'm going to look for an, this chapter talks about serving. So this week, I'm going to attempt to serve someone and the following ways, right? It's something specific. It's something practical. It's something provable that you can prove that you've done. It's something possible. You, know, you can't say, I'm going to serve everyone in my city tomorrow. Okay, well, obviously you can't. That's, that's, and that's not going to happen. You just write down a conclusion of what are, what are you going to do as a result of that chapter? What are you going to put into action? What action are you going to take as a result of that chapter? If you can't do the entire devotional method on the chapter, which is now you're looking for commandments to obey, sins to confess. You're doing space pets, sins to confess, promises, actions, commandments, examples. Right? You're, you, could be, you could run an entire space pets on it, but right now I'm just going to make it simple for you. That would be your conclusion. There's the chapter summary method. Now, I know we have some people listening. Here's your opportunity. If you mean, need me to repeat any of the points, ask right now. If you need me to repeat any of the points, ask right now and I will repeat them. All right, I'm going to give everyone an opportunity. If you're not listening to me live and you needed me to repeat something, well, you're going to have to email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And uh, I will, I'll be more than happy to, uh, to repeat for you. All right. I'm just going to go through them one more time. Uh, nobody's asking, so I'm assuming that's because everyone got them down. You read it five times, one of those times out loud. Don't read it in a Bible that contains any notes. Read it at least maybe the, like the sixth time. So I guess technically read it six times. Uh, read it in a different translation, right? There you go. All right. Then give the chapter a title, a short descriptive title, a caption. Give it a caption. Next, contents. Outline the chapter. Next, the key people, chief people. Next, a choice verse. Uh, next, uh, crucial words. Next, challenges. Next, cross-references. Next, what you learn, what, what, what does the chapter say about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? Next, central lessons, and then your conclusion, which is your application. Now, here's what I want everyone to do. Here is your assignment. Now, if you don't want to do it now, I understand. Now, please hear. I'm going to give you an assignment. Do not feel pressure. I don't want this to be some like legalistic thing where you're like, oh, I've got to do this. But I, I'm going to give you these assignments because this is preparing us for our Matthew 24 study. All right. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do a chapter summary method on John chapter 13 and John chapter 14. Some of you, I've already seen your work. You already, you're probably already 50%. All you got to do is just reorganize probably half of the work you've already done, and you can turn out a chapter summary method probably in the next 30 minutes. Some of you have already done most of the work. You've already read the chapters hopefully five times. You're probably almost already there. For some of you, you haven't done anything on John 13 and 14. Start with John chapter 13 and 14. 
John chapter 13 and 14, and let me look really here, really quick. It is Saturday night. Let me go to the curriculum. Let me go to the curriculum really quick. I got to log in. Give me one second. I got to log into the curriculum. I haven't looked, but I think we're going to be in John 15 next. I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive. Give me a second here. I'm going to look at the, the new curriculum for tomorrow. Give me one second. All right. Thanks, everyone, for telling me that you got everything. Uh, let's see. Wait. Let me go back here. I've got the curriculum up. All right. All right. Uh, typically, it says this week's study, uh, but it's not telling me. Okay. That's the life of trust. Okay. So tomorrow, uh, yes, we're going to be in John 15. So here you Three chapters, John 13, John 14, John 15. Chapter summary method. There you go. That's what you need to do. John chapter 13, 14, and 15. John 13, 14, and 15. And I'm going to try to give you, basically, I'm going to try to give you no homework, right? Uh, you, uh, well, what we're going to do with tomorrow, when we, when we start the new week of Bible study, someone's asking a question and I'm responding. Next week, or tomorrow, when we start the new Bible study on John 15, I'm not going to give you any other homework, right? We're, I'm going to be doing uh, podcast episodes where I'm doing some, like, devotional studies on John 15, maybe. Uh, you can just listen to those, but I'm not going to give you any other homework. So basically, this week, starting tomorrow, the new week, all you're going to do is John 13, 14, and 15, just doing chapter summary methods. Just do chapter summary methods, John 13, 14, and 15. You can look at the curriculum if you want to read it for your own devotional time, but I'm not going to give you anything else to do, right? If you didn't finish all the homework for John 14, that's okay. Just start working on chapter summary methods. I've got to, I want to get everyone ready to go before we get to Matthew 24 and all of the crazy controversy that surrounds that chapter dealing with eschatology and Bible prophecy, all right? So just John 13, 14, and 15 Chapter summary methods. That's all you do. That's all you do. 13, 14, 15. Those who did the Bible study exercise for 13 and 14, you're already ready to go. You just now move, you can probably finish those quickly. And uh, those in the, in the Discord group, I'm, hang on, I'm going to turn the volume down here and open up the Spreaker app because I don't think I can see anyone else's content or anyone else's messages at this point. So let me open this up. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, yes, all, all, all three chapters, John 13, 14, and 15, you're going to combine all of them, really, for, for basically this week of study. I, I, the reason I, I was kind of describing it differently because some of the people have already basically done 13 and 14. They've almost kind of done a chapter summary method. Um, but now, yeah, they can just finish those and then start on chapter 15. All right. For those in the Discord channel, please share it in the group. Please share it in the group. If you want to leave out your application, your conclusion about something you're going to do, you can leave that out. You can leave that out, okay? If um, everything else, I don't think there should be anything else there too personal. If there's something personal, leave it out. That's perfectly okay. Uh, But the reason I want you to share it is because you'll share it and then someone else will see what you've shared and they're like, oh, well, I I did it this way or, well, I didn't didn't think of it that way And, and that conversation helps everyone become better Bible students. 
when you're when you're doing when you're studying it together, that back and forth helps everyone become better at what they're doing, right? And it sharpens that skill. And the better the skill everyone has in doing this, when we get to Matthew 24, because I guarantee I'm already, I'm already, no, my email box is going to blow up when we get to Matthew 24. It's going to be just, it's going to be madness. It's going to be disagreements all over the place. Maybe not from the, the key group that already does the Bible study exercises, but from people outside of the group. They're going to disagree with everything. And you know what I'm going to tell them? If you want to argue with me with Matthew 24, I need you to do this method of Bible study on Matthew 24 first. Once you've done, completed that, then we can talk. Because other than that, it's just arguing and arguing and arguing and arguing, arguing. We got to have a place to start, which is you've observed the same text, the text that we're studying. We've both done observation on it. And if our observation is very solid, then you know what magically happens? Disagreement starts disappearing. Listen, almost here, this is so key. This is a practical lesson. Oh, every theological disagreement, every argument about how to interpret a verse in your small group or with your Christian friends, every theological disagreement is a hermeneutical disagreement. It's an argument about hermeneutics. It's an argument about how to interpret the Bible. Well, guess what? You can't fix the hermeneutical arguments because you got to figure out what hermeneutical method people are using. So guess where it really starts? It's a Bible observation argument. So you have to say, no, 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 no. We're not going to argue here. Let's do a chapter summary method together. Let's do a chapter summary method together. And let me tell you if, you, if you've got Christian friends that you disagree with on everything about theology, set aside your theology and do chapter summary methods with them. Let's just do, cha- now they're going to try to try to bring in their interpretation really quick and you can slap them on the wrist and go, no, 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 no. There's no place for interpretation here. This is observation. And you know what happens when they start doing observational studies? Sometimes that their pet interpretation will dissolve right before their very eyes because they'll see the chapter in its complete context. And they'll be like, oh, wow, I, I now, man, I've always thought this chapter, I, and they're going to be completely blown away. All right. There you go. There's so much more I could say. One hour and two minutes. That, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Usually this takes two hours. <laughs> usually it takes two hours because usually I break it down uh, a lot more than this. But I just wanted to make sure everyone has this chapter summary method, your homework, John 13, John 14, John 15. Get busy, get to work and let me know. You're going to have struggles. Don't get frustrated. Don't get frustrated. So many people, when they start, they're like, this is just too difficult. This is too complicated. No, no. Make it fun. You're studying God's word. Make it a fun thing to do, right? Make it a fun thing to if you if, if especially if you're doing it with say, people in your family, get one of those little whiteboards and get your markers and just start get everyone together with their Bibles and have everyone participate. Everyone, okay, how do you think we should maybe you have everyone working on the outline together? Make it a fun thing, a fun thing, not not like Ooh, it's some legalistic rule and you're not spiritual enough unless you've done 10 Bible study, Bible studies. No, 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 no. It's about studying God's word, enjoying it. It's a source of joy. It's, it's a wonderful thing. It's, it's food. I mean, think about when typically when you've made supper or lunch, dinner, what, whatever, Typically, people don't come to the table going, oh, I don't want to eat. I hate eating. I hate food. I hate food so much. 
I hate eating. It's the worst thing ever. Usually there's some sense of joy because everyone's getting ready to eat. Well, that should be the same way with God's word. You're getting ready to eat. And you should desire it more than you desire physical food. It should be joy. It should be fun. It should be a fun thing to do. Now, yes, there's going to be lots of Christians, you know, who they don't want to do it and they don't think it's any fun. I remember when I was a teenager, I kept constantly wanting to get the teenagers. Hey, let's go up to the church tonight. It's Friday night. Let's go up there and let's all, let's, let's do a chapter summary method. And yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, nobody wanted to go do a chapter summary method. No, nobody, nobody thinks it's any fun. Okay. That's okay. If nobody else wants to, you do it and you have fun. You have fun. Make it fun. Make it, it's got to be fun. It, if, if there's no joy in it, then you're just following a legalistic rule. Uh, and that may make you, that may just make you feel morally superior and make you self-righteous. And that, if that's what's happening, then man, you've got to reset because you're doing it all wrong. It's just about fun, enjoying, studying the word of God, learning and growing from it. And the more joy you have in it, I think the more, the better it will be for you spiritually. And don't allow it to become, I've, I've done 15 chapter summary methods and that person's only done two. I'm better than them. Don't, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. All right, there you go. Chapter summary method on a Saturday night. Hopefully everybody found it to be beneficial. You can email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. All right, anybody have any questions, let me know. Everyone have a great night. God bless.